0: I met up with Javier Mabry outside the church in Englewood, where he and his brother attended school for years. This place was kind of a rare constant for them, as they moved from apartment to apartment again and again.
1: I did all of my elementary school years at that school over there, so we hopped around a lot, but that's where I went to school uh, the whole time I was in elementary school.
0: We take about a 10 minute walk from the school over to one of those childhood apartments. He remembers that money was always tight, and as we reached the building,
1: he tells me about how frightening dealing with the landlord could be. I remember turning this corner, like, my mom had groceries and we'd we'd be like, shh, you know, she'd be hushing us so that the guy wouldn't come out. I actually remember him sticking his head out. Um, He's like a bald guy, probably early 60s. I remember him yelling at my mom, where's the rent, Catherine, you need to pay the rent.
0: Yeah. And that sunk in pretty young. Mabry noticed when he was a kid that the other kids at school just had more than him, more money and more stability.
1: I felt from a really young age what it meant for my mom to be struggling to pay rent and what it meant to be housing unstable.
0: Those experiences took a toll. After an eviction and a move to Oklahoma,
1: Mabry dropped out of high school. I never really felt like I could catch up. Too far behind. Let's fast forward a bit. Mabry eventually
0: got his GED, went to community college, got involved in political organizing, and eventually made it to law school all those childhood experiences still in his
1: mind. In my law school personal statement, I wrote about the story of us getting evicted and me being homeless as a teenager with my mom and my brother. And I said that I wanted to do something in housing law.
0: I first met Mabry during the pandemic. He helped start this nonprofit that made a big splash nationally and in the state called the COVID-19 Eviction Defense
1: Project. Every day I'm working with clients who are like my mom, who are struggling to get by, single moms uh, struggling to keep a roof over their head here in Denver. And now he's got a new job, too. In January, he started serving as
0: a first-year lawmaker.
1: And being here, walking down the street is, uh, I don't know. Like, life comes at you fast, you know? It's kind of weird, like, it's like, I always was like, okay, I'm gonna be doing something like this, and now, here I am. Indeed, the lawmaking life has come at Mabry fast, this
0: year he's got his name on some pretty big legislation including some ideas that he thinks could help ensure kids in similar situations don't have to worry so much about the rent one of those bills in particular is drawing a ton of attention it's about rent control
1: i ran on this
0: this bill that mabry's co-sponsoring with a few other democrats would reverse four decades of colorado law and allow cities to put limits on how fast rents can increase the idea has gotten further this year than ever before and if it goes into effect, it could have a big impact on both renters and landlords. Reformers like Mabry say it could be a way to put a break on big rent spikes, while landlords, developers, and others warn that it could disrupt the housing market that's already in trouble.
2: This is Purplish, a show about Colorado politics and policy. And for this season, the 2023 Legislative Session. I'm Benta Berkland,
0: And I'm Andrew Kenny.
2: Housing, as we've talked about a lot, is increasingly important for Colorado politicians from all political parties. Every lawmaker at the Capitol, from the cities to the eastern plains to the mountains, seems to be worried about it.
0: It's hard to believe, but in my little hometown of
1: Akron, a single wide trailer house was sold for over $100,000 because of the non-availability of housing. So how do we fix it?
2: That's really the million dollar question. And of course, it's easier to agree on the problem than it is to really rally around a specific solution.
0: This year, lawmakers are talking about a long list of solutions and ideas, but a lot of Democrats are willing to get behind one in particular that's been really pretty taboo in politics until very recently. It's been tried in some other places, but not in Colorado. And that idea, again, is rent control, or what supporters now call rent stabilization or rent regulation.
2: And that's a little bit different from what lawmakers have historically talked about in Colorado when it comes to the housing supply. There's been a real focus on increasing housing increasing development and getting builders to create new construction. That's a priority of Governor Jared Polis, so it's still an issue this section, but rent control is playing a much, much bigger role in that overall conversation. This idea is really about trying to keep people in the places they're already living.
0: And I think part of the reason is that there are a lot of lawmakers, especially in cities, but of course everywhere else too, who are hearing about these huge rent spikes from their constituents, Uh, gentrification, displacement, watching lower income people get pushed out of their districts. And they're wanting to do something pretty significant to act more quickly on this.
2: Rent control isn't the only thing Democrats are talking about regarding trying to help renters. Mm -hmm. So Democrats have introduced a number of other bills. For instance, one measure would aim to make it easier for people to fight getting evicted. Another would reduce some of the costs of searching for an apartment, and fees you have to pay. And there's even a measure that would make it cheaper to have a dog or a cat as a renter.
0: Yeah, there's definitely that push to give renters more power in the landlord-tenant relationship. And maybe part of the reason of that is that so many lawmakers now are renting or have spent a lot of their time and their lives renting.
2: People my age and even older have that American dream as almost a fleeting dream. Because access to affordable housing has become so far and few in between that being
3: able to own a home is something that is so out of reach. Historically speaking, the majority of the power privilege has always come down on whoever to whoever owns the property. Correcting that so that the playing field that we're all operating on is as fair as its proponents say it is, that's going to take some work.
2: So these two Democratic lawmakers we just heard from believe Colorado is ready for governments to be more active in the rental market. But rent control also has plenty of critics. And this is definitely a step further than lawmakers, Democrats specifically, have been willing to go in the past.
0: So without further ado, in this episode, how do we get here? And what exactly are Mabry and other lawmakers trying to do when it comes to rent control? Probably the first thing to understand about what lawmakers are proposing is that it wouldn't actually create rent control anywhere in Colorado. What the state lawmakers want to do is let the local governments, your your cities and towns, decide whether to create rent regulations themselves. So the state lawmakers are talking about getting rid of this four-decade-old ban that says right now cities can't do rent control.
2: And this isn't the first time the legislature has tried to do this. In fact, four years ago, Democratic Senator Julie Gonzalez, who's still in the Senate, sponsored a bill to get rid of the ban. She's from Denver, and she said what she was seeing was that some cities really needed this option.
3: Given the transformation that we were seeing in Uh, specific neighborhoods, many of which were in my district, uh, you know, north, west, and downtown Denver. And seeing that uh, that transformation and the proliferation of luxury apartments versus um, affordable apartments, folks wanted us to act.
0: But that first time the Democrats tried to get rid of the rent control ban, it didn't go very far from everything I've seen.
2: That's right. The bill got out of a committee in the Senate, Mm -hmm. but then it ultimately failed on the Senate floor. Democrats had a narrower margin in the Senate at that time, and they'd actually just won back control of the chamber in the previous election. So this was the first legislative session after they regained the majority after four years. They were
0: still feeling out what to do with their power.
2: I think that's right. And some high-profile Democrats joined Republicans to oppose the bill. And that was pretty much the end of it for that session.
3: I very much knew going in that this was an uphill battle. And I've always approached this issue specifically, knowing that um, this isn't a traditional D versus R issue, that every um, member of of the Senate has their own perspective and that's valid and you know worthy of respect but i wanted to have a conversation
0: one thing she's getting at there is that this is an issue that divides democrats in particular
2: i think that's absolutely right and we saw one democratic lawmaker in 2019 who said she just did not fundamentally believe that cities and counties should be in the business of quote telling businesses how to run their businesses mm. so As we've seen this session, this new version of the bill has already progressed further and faster in this legislature.
0: And we should note that this version was introduced in the House instead, so it's kind of coming from a different direction but it's already cleared the house.
2: Yes, that's right. And Gazala said she really thinks the last few years have helped to change people's thinking. She thinks going through the pandemic laid bare how many people are struggling and opened up what lawmakers were
3: willing to consider. It's why I think that you've seen over the past several years um, the number of housing bills um, that we take up as a body just really greatly expand and you're seeing that this bill um, to once again attempt to allow local jurisdictions the ability to make their, their own decisions regarding rent control. You're seeing this issue pop up again because people are people are drowning.
2: On the flip side, though, having a bill moving forward at all this year does mean that lawmakers will have to think again about whether they believe this is the right way to try to help people.
0: And if you haven't caught on yet, rent control and rent stabilization can be a pretty loaded conversation. It's an idea that's been around in one form or another for about a century now. That means it arrives here in Colorado with a lot of history and baggage and just a lot attached to it.
2: So, Andy, I have just an inkling that this could be the moment where you have a little history lesson for us <laughs> prepared.
0: Yeah, me? Never. No. I <laughs> didn't spend any time in a giant research rabbit hole, but yes, I did, actually. <laughs> and to understand the debate this year in this state, I think you kind of have to understand a little bit about what went before nationally with rent control.
2: So what did happen?
0: Well, like I was saying, the idea that the government can get involved in how much rent people pay, that's not new. In both of the world wars, the federal government here actually took action to freeze rent levels.
4: Landlords were told they must be patriots.
0: That's Dennis Keating. He's a professor emeritus at Cleveland State University. I called him because he's studied and been involved with the rent control fight for decades now. And as he told me, after World War II, those rent controls kind of dropped away in most places, but not all.
4: The federal government ended federal controls... But then states continued those controls temporarily till about 1950, at which point most states, with uh, more housing coming along, uh, basically let them expire, with the notable
0: exception of New York.
2: I still feel like even today, that's the one city that if the term rent control pops in your head, yeah. you know, that's what you think of.
0: Yeah, I think that's the same for most people. When they think of rent control, they think of the way that New York did it in the 50s and the 60s, which is you have the system that really pretty strictly controls rents, doesn't let them go up too easily. And it leads to the situation where some people have just absurdly low rent costs and they'll hold on to an apartment for decades and decades because it's just such a good deal.
2: Yeah, I I would too when you you see those prices. (laughs) So in the 50s, New York has this rent control (laughs) but in the rest of the country had they pretty much left it behind
0: yeah it really started to disappear it didn't stick around for too long in most places but that starts to change again in the late 60s and early 70s which is because of the economy inflation starts really picking up economy stagnates stagflation and some leaders start trying to really do something to fix things
4: the second indispensable element of the new prosperity is to stop the rise in the cost of living.
0: President Richard Nixon at one point actually orders a freeze on wages and prices, really extreme action, and that included freezing rent. The time has come
4: for decisive action, action that will break the vicious circle of spiraling prices and costs.
0: Now, Nixon's order there was temporary, but at the same time, those same cost pressures were leading to these movements of tenants and renters springing up all around the country and demanding that their local or their state government do something to help control rent.
4: You were basically faced with the threat of being priced out of the city.
0: And Professor Keating was a part of it.
4: I was in Berkeley, California as a student when uh, we organized the first post-World War II uh, rent control initiative in California in Berkeley.
2: I'm not that surprised to hear that Berkeley adopted rent control. No. (laughs) But did it spread much farther to places that weren't as progressive?
0: It did. In the same time frame, it was cropping up a lot in New Jersey, which was not as blue and and was voting fairly red at that time, Mm -hmm. as well as some other areas around the country. Another thing is they started using a, a new term that's been really popular ever since, and that is not rent control, but rent stabilization.
2: So why that switch? from rent control to rent stabilization, was it branding to build support or was it something about that term stabilization that they felt was more accurate?
0: Maybe a little bit of both. Maybe they were trying to create some distance from the old New York policies, which had come in for criticism already, I believe. But they also were different than rent control because Mm -hmm. they were designed. To allow rents to rise every year, for example, to really have a built in way for rents to keep increasing. And they were designed in some cases to make exceptions for like new development. So you can see already they're trying to avoid some of the stuff that rent control has a bad reputation for. And the movement even made it to Colorado, maybe unsurprisingly to Boulder, where citizens started working on an initiative to get rent control. But then the tide really turns as landlords and politicians and others started to crack down and push back against the idea of rent control.
4: There was a huge landlord backlash. You had 37 states, including Colorado, that uh, had basically uh, had the real estate lobby pass had them pass legislation like yours to either ban it or restrict it. So in
0: 1981, Colorado passes this law saying local governments cannot regulate rent. And over the years, the courts even expanded that to say local governments couldn't do things like requiring developers to build affordable units. They were saying that's a form of rent control.
2: But things have clearly changed in terms of this ever-shifting tide. Yeah. And now this is a policy Democratic lawmakers in Colorado want to consider.
0: For sure. And this new interest isn't just happening here in Colorado. It's scattered across the nation where we're seeing cities and states, both act on rent stabilization efforts. California and Oregon, maybe most notably, both passed statewide rent regulation laws in 2019. I think those were the first of their kind. And so this idea that seemed like it was on its way out decades ago. Well, it's almost risen from the dead.
2: It's like those 1980s fashion choices that you think, wait, why were people wearing that? And then here you go. It's in style again.
0: Yeah, I mean, things, fashion and politics both go in cycles, especially when you start to see inflation and some of those same factors come back. But the advocates would tell you, just like maybe some modern fashionistas, is that it's a little different this time.
2: When lawmakers in the House debated this year's version of rent control. It was a very lengthy debate. And one of the clearest takeaways was that Republicans were very united in their opposition.
0: We can say, we're going to control rent. We're going to lower rent. And then houses stop being built. You can say, we're going to control rent. Property values go down. We're going to control rent. Why? Because the market is something you cannot control.
2: It's not that Republicans are philosophically opposed to just meddling with the free market and government being involved in Mm -hmm. this space but they also argue that rent control itself just doesn't lead to good outcomes
0: only two percent of all economists said that price controls on rent improve the availability and the quality of 40 of affordable housing two percent of economists say it's a good idea so 98 percent think This is a bad idea. Well, I'd say the 98% were disagreeing about the specific goal of affordable housing. But it is fair to say that mainstream economists for quite a long time were pretty opposed to rent control and and remain quite skeptical of it now.
2: So talk about some of those concerns that, that people really have. I know that New York City is one key example people could draw from.
0: Yeah, and New York, especially the early rent control laws, become a poster child for what can go wrong. And the idea is that if you make the rules too strict, it leads to potentially really negative unintended consequences. Hmm. Uh, For example, landlords don't make enough profit, and they don't see a way to make more profit, so they just stop maintaining their buildings and let them deteriorate. There's research that actually shows that it has a negative effect on the quality of housing stock when you have those tight restrictions. Other research will show that strict controls could potentially discourage new development because developers don't see a profit margin, especially with first-gen rent control. Research seems to show you end up with limited or increasingly lousy housing stock.
2: Which seems like exactly what everyone in Colorado would want to avoid here.
0: Yeah, and the the, the advocates will tell you they've taken steps to avoid that. Some of the other problems, though, that you see crop up is, you know, again with New York. They have just this total patchwork where one building might be rent-controlled and the next one is very similar but isn't rent control. So you have these super cheap rents that tenants are just clinging to. But on the other side, studies have found that rents can go even higher in the non-rent-controlled units. So you may be getting a discount on one, but then the person in the non-controlled unit is paying even more because – You know, you've kind of got this limited supply of free market units and maybe landlords are even raising rent on one unit to make up the loss on the other.
2: So we have this image of New York in the 1950s, 60s as this rent control cautionary tale. But supporters of the policy in Colorado this year are saying, look, that's not what we're talking about.
0: Yeah, they are arguing that they've got this kind of evolved version of rent control. They're now rent stabilization, like we mentioned earlier, and the changes get a little bit complicated. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this is already complicated, obviously. Yeah. So that first couple decades of rent control in New York is what we would call first generation. And again, like super strict, not a lot of room for rent increases. And then in the 70s and beyond, what we've seen since then is more like a second generation, it's called.
2: Well, how many generations would you say there are?
0: Well, basically three, if I'm the one counting, Mm -hmm. because we've got this new wave coming in. But putting semantics aside, let's talk more about that second generation, Mm -hmm. the ones that are called rent stabilization laws. As Dr. Keating explains, they have some features built in that are supposed to make them a little more market friendly.
4: The ones that have been enacted since the late 60s uh, or so-called second generation, which are not rent freezes. They're rather um, systems which allow for usually typically annual or regular rent increases based on various factors.
0: So just to to underline there, the idea is that these laws are more lenient. They say, hey, we know you got to make some money. We're going to let rents rise every year or however so often. Not going to be a hard cap. And they also create more ways to take an apartment out of rent control. And they contain these exemptions for new buildings so that you don't disincentivize development. They're trying to take care of all those ways that rent control interferes with the market.
2: So if those laws have been around since the 60s, what do we know about how that's played out?
0: It always depends where you look, who you ask. Mm -hmm. You can find studies of cities in New Jersey that have these more moderate rent policies and those studies found they didn't discourage new construction, didn't seem to have any effect on that, and may have actually helped lower overall rents. Okay. But you can also find a lot of examples of unintended consequences. San Francisco has a newer rent stabilization law, And a big recent study of its effects there found that a lot of landlords with rent controlled units were scraping and redeveloping them in order to get out of the controls because new development is exempted. Okay. So you have this effect where some people get lower rents, but then the landlords start demolishing the buildings and building new buildings. And that arguably accelerates gentrification and raises rents in the end. It gets complicated.
2: And that's a concern we've heard in the testimony on this bill here in Colorado from opponents. So real estate developers, people in the construction industry, landlords, that they're very concerned if we pass any type of rent stabilization, that it would lead landlords to just not renting, not being part of the market anymore at all.
0: Property owners will simply just remove their properties from the rental market. I know I will. I own two properties and I will, if there was rent control that was put in place. I would not rent those properties out, I've been through that nightmare already and I would not rent them out. One other example that we can find in the literature is Cambridge, Massachusetts, where researchers found that rent control had dragged down property values, not just of controlled buildings, but also of non-controlled buildings, that it was like leading landowners to not take care of their buildings and kind of dragging down mm-hmm. the whole market by billions of dollars in value.
2: Wow, that's going to impact a lot of people who aren't renters and don't even own a property for rent.
0: That's right. But it's also really hard to figure out what would happen in Colorado if cities started doing this, because it all comes down to, you know, these are all different cities. The laws are all different. So tough, as always, to apply any one policy.
2: On this issue in particular, it seems like whether you're for rent control policies, you're opposed, you can pull a study to try (laughs) to use that to bolster your argument. but. Is there a general consensus of how experts think of rent control? Are Republicans right when they say economists pretty much all think this is a bad idea?
0: I think that there's truth to that. I think that what you see is there's agreement that you can't just control your way into having really cheap housing. Mm. You can't just go to the market and say, all housing is now cheap. You can't have the really strict limits of 50s and expect there to be no ill effects in the market. But on the flip side, advocates are now saying that, well, we don't expect this to make the market a lot cheaper. They're arguing and they have some research to show that at the least, rent stabilization will help tenants stay in their house, help them avoid those sharp increases, and that maybe you can find a way to do that without creating negative side effects. It's
2: it's, it's like slowing the growth.
0: Yeah. It's saying that we may not bring down the prices of the whole market, but we're going to ensure you don't see a 40% rent hike one day. They're framing it more as anti-price gouging.
2: I want to get really specific on what's being addressed in Colorado this legislative session, the bill that is before lawmakers. What would it actually do?
0: Originally, all the bill did was basically say, hey, cities, go for it. Do what you want to do. But then there have been a few amendments to help it win some political support, putting some, as Mabry says, guardrails on them.
2: And that's incredibly common at the Capitol, at the State House. Yeah, A bill gets introduced, and that sometimes can just be kind of the starting point for negotiations as more people are hearing of the policy, especially on ideas that are controversial.
0: And in this case, what they've done is introduced some limits saying that if a city does implement rent control that they still have to make some exceptions basically they would have to make an exception for new development so no rent control on stuff built within the last 15 years at any one point they also have to let rents rise at least in the current version they have to let rents rise every year by at least the rate of inflation plus three percent so in a year like this year last year that could easily be nine or ten percent a year
2: So, knowing full well this bill has not passed and it's still in the middle of the legislative process, but as it's amended at this particular moment, how would that compare to rent control policies that exist in other places, New (laughs) York-style, California-style?
0: Sounds like pizza. Yeah.
2: What kind of pizza would it be?
0: What it does resemble is these new California and Oregon laws. Both of those states, again, passed the nation's first statewide rent control laws back in 2019 and they allow those fairly high increases every year. And that's what I'm kind of calling the third generation of, of rent control.
2: Okay, so we are in the third generation here in Colorado, potentially. And just At least make, according to me. <laughs> according to Andy, and making sure I'm keeping this straight. The first generation, 1950s New York, very strict and kind of this cautionary tale. Yeah, And then the second, a little less strict, but still you can't increase rent even close to inflation. And then the third generation, what we're seeing proposed in Colorado, is capping rent. But it's still possible for the rent to rise pretty significantly from year to year. So let's say this bill does pass. Who would it really help?
0: Well, Representative Mabry argues that this is not going to slow down the whole housing market, not going to slow down rents, not really do that much to result in lower prices than exist right now. But what he says is that if you're in a neighborhood that's rapidly developing and you see that new condo go up across the street, maybe if your city has rent control, you won't get a 30 or 40% rent hike. Instead, you just see a 10% one and it helps workers and existing communities stay put for longer and avoid displacement.
1: Our housing crisis requires multiple solutions. One is a more short-term one that involves rent stabilization to prevent unnecessary displacement, keep communities together, make sure kids can stay in the neighborhoods where they've been going to school for years. And another one is more, okay, well, we have to build more.
2: Quickly to go back to the politics of this, the votes suggest that Lawmakers behind this bill, yes, they've managed to win over enough supporters in the House, Mm -hmm. even with Republicans united against it just because of the wide Democratic margins. But it's about to arrive in the state Senate, and that is trickier.
0: That's right. Since Democrats have less of a margin in the Senate, it gets a lot trickier, like you said. As we saw even in the House where it had strong support, there are still a fair amount of Democrats who we know are not on board with this.
2: I would say it it has one pretty strong ally in the Senate, Mm -hmm. and that's Senate President Steve Fenberg. He was asked about the bill. He sounded pretty open to it. He said he's backed similar policies in the past. And at least in the form it's in now, he doesn't think it's going to be quite as controversial.
0: There are pretty significant guardrails if a community does want to implement it. I think that probably lowers the temperature quite a bit. So I think it'll be a less contentious debate but i'm sure it will still be a vigorous one but then there's one thing that we haven't really talked about yet even if the bill survives the senate and senate committee and you know reconciliation and all that it's still not going to be a done deal
2: no it's definitely not and there is one other person who will want to weigh in who does get to weigh in and Mm -hmm. that is governor jared polis Mm. and this is generally something he is skeptical of yeah I'm I'm wondering if you've heard him say much about this bill yet.
0: Yeah, I've asked him about it and his office and they haven't said that they're opposed to rent control, Mm -hmm. rent stabilization, but they say words like skeptical and unintended consequences, really reinforcing the concerns we've been talking about throughout the episode. And last year, for example, Polis did successfully pressure Democrats to kill a bill that would have created rent control for mobile homes. So we know that he's not a fan of this kind of approach to the housing market. He leans much more into building more housing rather than regulating existing housing.
2: So let's say this gets through the legislature. The governor does sign it. He is on board. Okay. So this policy makes rent control a possibility. It does not require it. Are we just going to see a lot of fights at the local level and within local government about whether or not to use this?
0: Yeah. If this passes, it becomes our colleagues at Denverites problem because (laughs) rent control will be a topic of the day in Denver and I'm sure several other cities. And it will be up to them to decide whether to do anything about it. And assuming the housing market keeps going the same way it does, there will be a lot of pressure on them to act and to consider doing rent control or rent stabilization. That, again, is if this state bill passes in the first place.
2: Let's wrap up this episode with just a bit of a recap, going over it very quickly. So briefly. Yes, very briefly. State lawmakers moving forward with this bill that would let cities set some controls on how much rent can increase year to year.
0: Those controls would have some limits. Cities would not be allowed to apply rent control to new buildings, and they could only be so strict. Annual rent would still have to be allowed to increase by inflation plus at least 3%.
2: Backers say this idea isn't to let people stay at about the same rent forever, but to insulate them from price gouging when the market gets really hot.
0: And it's also arguably designed to avoid some of the pitfalls that have cropped up with other rent control policies. They say this is a new generation that they're trying to avoid discouraging development or trying to avoid kind of unwanted behavior.
2: The bill this year is already making headway in the legislative process, clearing one chamber but it still faces significant opposition. Republicans are united against it. Landlords and developers are warning it will hurt the state and have unintended consequences. Governor Jared Polis, who holds the veto pen, is at least skeptical of the general idea.
0: So all that means by the time it's over, We're either going to talk about how far Democrats have shifted left on housing policy, or maybe we'll be talking about how deep the divides in their party still go when it comes to renters' rights.
2: That's it for this episode. Purplish is a production of member-supported Colorado Public Radio. Learn about becoming a member and join today at CPR.org. I'm Benta Berkland with my colleague, Andrew Kenny. This episode was produced by Shane Rumsey and edited by Megan Verley.
0: We'll be back in your podcast feed soon. If you're not already a subscriber, be sure to sign up. Make sure you don't miss it. And if you're enjoying Purplish, please recommend us to your friends. Leave a review.
2: This is Purplish from CPR News.